I'm going to do this. I'm going to run for the United States Senate. The time is now for fresh ideas and new leadership. I'm running for student council because of you and for you. That is why I stand before you today to announce my candidacy for president. Welcome to the Arena Talks podcast, where we interview emerging political leaders from across the country. My name is Ravi Gupta, co-founder of the Arena. And today I interviewed uh, Gina Ortiz-Jones, who's running for Congress in Texas's 23rd Congressional District. Gina uh, is a first-generation American, the daughter of uh, a single mom who moved here to become a domestic helper and give Gina a shot at the American dream. Gina was an Air Force officer in Iraq and then went on to go work in national security in many levels throughout the government, including in the Obama administration and the initial few months of the Trump administration. Uh, Gina is one of the most exciting candidates out there, and so I'm excited to jump in. All right, Gina Ortiz-Jones, welcome to the Arena Talks podcast. Yeah, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. So, Gina, you are running for Congress in the Texas 23rd Congressional District. Tell us about the district. Yeah, this is a uh, this is one of the largest districts. This is um, an interesting microcosm, I think, for for the entire country, actually, because we've got uh, two large population centers on either side. Uh, you know, there's East Coast, West Coast here. There's San Antonio and El Paso. Uh, we've got 40 percent of the U.S. border in this district. Um, this is a 70 percent um, Hispanic district, and um, so certainly a majority minority district. Um, so many of the issues that were being that are being talked about on the national level um, are certainly issues here in the district, and we feel some of those effects uh, more immediately as well. So a great opportunity to pick this up. This is one of the 23 districts that Hillary won, uh, but was narrowly won at the congressional level by the Republicans. So a true purple district, a district that has flipped, um, you know, between Democrat and Republican. Uh, very much so over the over the last couple of cycles. So you know, very independent streak. Uh, veterans, you know, do well, do better actually in purple district. And as and as the only veteran in this race, I look forward to being the first woman ever to represent this district in Congress. And so, tell us a little bit more. What made you decide to jump in? You know, you're relatively young. Yeah, you know, um, I'm young, but I have been very fortunate. Um, and I honestly, there wasn't one thing, I'll be honest, Ravi, but it was the last five and a half months that I spent working in the executive office of the president. Um, so I was a civil servant, but, you know, so I was honored to serve under President Obama um, and then stayed for the transition. And those five and a half months under the Trump administration really opened my eyes um, and I'm sure was a gut checked, like, you know, to so many people. Um, and certainly, frankly, to certainly to many people that are working in federal government and, and, you know, and they had to question themselves whether they wanted to be part of, of such an administration, understanding the policies and the effects that those would have. Um, but look, as somebody that is a first generation American, somebody that was raised by a single mother and, you know, as a member of the LGBT community, um, I knew exactly how those policies would, would affect my communities. But, you know, Ravi, I knew exactly how those policies would, no kidding, affect the, the community, the literal, literal community in which I grew up, right? Um, you know, 78245, uh, that is a, that is a uh, you know, a part of San Antonio. Um, there is a, um, you know, it's a, a large minority um, area as well as uh, the kind of uh, lower middle class. And so I knew exactly how those policies would, no kidding, affect the neighborhood, the area that I grew up in, um, as well as the, uh, the, fact, the kids growing up in that area. 
Tell us a little bit about what you saw inside of the administration that might not be obvious to those of us who did not serve in there. Yeah, you know, and I, so I worked, uh, I led a portfolio, it's called the Committee on Foreign Investment in the U.S., and um, this is, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, one of those portfolios, I think, that doesn't get a lot of attention, but I think is so critical to our, our national security, because it really th- ha- forces us to think about how do we think about economic security in the context of our national security, right? And so, I mean, foreign investment is so critical to our economy, but we've also got to make sure that, you know, when, when foreign companies are buying American, com- American companies, that there aren't any national security implications to that. Um, and so, you know, we can talk about national security in Iraq and Afghanistan, but given the criticality and the, and the interdependence of our economies, we have to be thinking more holistically um, about, about our economic engagements. And, and look, you know, there's, uh, you know, the U.S. Is, is, well, relatively a single place for people to park their money and invest it. And so uh, we can't be shocked when we, we lead in certain areas and people want to buy, buy these companies. But we do have to make sure that that there are no national security implications as a result of that. But, you know, as technologies move the way that they do, you know, the technology used in a toothbrush can very easily also be used in a tank. And in some of these places where they have, you know, they have their own middle class and their own rising middle class whose needs that they also have to meet, we we have to, I think, uh, be thinking a little bit more holistically about um, our economic relationships uh, with these countries, because I think, you know, the, we've never been in a time where the country we're most likely to go to war with, we're so economically dependent on. So that's a much more nuanced appro- approach to, to security uh, than we've had to, to think through before. The team, at least that I worked with, right, that was brought in with this administration, um, I mean, they clearly have a different understanding of how the world works um, how the, the the importance of American leadership um, in, in to to you know stability and global security much different than um, than what I had just worked on for 14 years. One uh, you know as a as a an intelligence officer in the Air Force within the intelligence community for over a decade, and then you know even in this portfolio. Um, it, it just ran contrary to my personal and, and professional values and, and understanding of national security. So, uh, understanding, you know, understanding how those policies would affect my communities, I knew I felt called a different way. And I think my background lends itself to, to to this level of office. You know, national security has talked about at this level, but we're increasingly reliant on this level of government to provide for some of our basic needs, right? Whether it be healthcare or education policies. Um, and, and so given my personal background, I can, I can speak um, and I can speak to those authoritatively based on my personal and professional background. And so, you know, on the personal background, you know, you mentioned that you were raised by a single mom. You know, I was too. And in reading about your mom and her influence on you, it seems like she's a pivotal figure from your life. Uh, talk more about uh, how she influenced you and, and maybe even how she might have influenced you to enter public service. There is my mom taught me very early on that, like, look, nothing is going to replace hard work. Right. And you've got to you, you've got to want it and then you've got to show up and you've got to make it make it happen. And, you know, my mother came to this country as a domestic helper. She'd already graduated from the number one university in the Philippines, but, uh, you know, still wanted a shot at the American dream because she knew that her trajectory um, and that of her eventual family would be much different, you know, if she came, came to this country. Um, and so, you know, she took a leap and, um, and, and humbled herself to, to, to do that. And so, 
Um, that's that's the cloth that I'm cut from. That is the example that has shaped you know my my understanding of of what it takes to make it happen. And but she also you know we we grew up always hearing about um, you know our first cousins, frankly, that were just not as fortunate only because they were not born in this country, right? It was really only because of that. And so we knew that uh, that we were very fortunate, but we also knew we had to give back. Um, you know, and that's why I've dedicated my life to public service. My sister is in the Navy. Um, she actually just uh, um, was, was she was actually part of the um, the mission that was helping out with the uh, recovery with Harvey, as well as what's going on in Puerto Rico. So we know we're very fortunate. We also know that we need to give back. Um, and, but I, you know, it was not easy at time as my mom raising my sister and I by herself, you know, we needed, yes, we needed reduced lunch. Yes. We needed to live in subsidized housing, uh, for a little bit. And so those are, um, you know, that wasn't my entire childhood, but I remember them, right. And, uh, and I know exactly what it means to, to need a little bit of help. So I don't see those things as, um, handouts. I see those things as investments to me. Those were just as critical, uh, to me doing what I'm doing now as the ROTC scholarship that I received to attend Boston University. I think when we invest in our most vulnerable and allow them to become our most promising, that is what this country is about. And, 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 and I mean, that's what it's going to take to, um, to really ensure that, you know, we are secure both at home and abroad. And, you know, speaking of, you know, the role of government, uh, I was reading an article about you and um, there was a particularly pointed quote in there that I wanted you to elaborate on. And I'll read the quote for you. Uh, here's the quote. And this is in reference to uh, the incumbent, Congressman Hurd. You say, I don't know the man, but I know his voting record. And I know his voting record would affect families like mine growing up. I think the fact that you could take a selfie with somebody one day and vote against their interests the next day needs more attention. Talk more about that. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot there, right? Um, so look, I think, uh, you know, Will Hurd's voting records for itself, right? When he chooses to spend his time voting to, um, to, to ban abortions after 20 weeks, yet makes takes no action um, when, when CHIP expires for so many kids in Texas, understanding what a large percentage of our kids go uninsured. Um, that, that's one. I mean, when he votes to delay the implementation of smog reduction, smog reduction measures, that matters because one in 11 kids in Texas has asthma. In Bear County, one in seven. In communities like I grew up, it's probably two or three, possibly four out of seven. So when he votes, um, there are real consequences um, and immediate consequences for, for this district. Um, frankly, as a member of the military, as a member, having served under Don't Ask, Don't Tell, you know, his recent vote to deny active duty members um, access to medical resources only because they're transgender, um, you know, what he did with that is he, well, first at first, he, you know, threatened the health of that, of that service member that is already in Iraq, already in Afghanistan, right? So he threatened that one member, he threatened the risk of that of that unit, he threatened he put that mission at risk because we all know if you've ever served, if one person of the team is in a hundred percent, the unit is in a hundred percent, and the mission is possibly at risk. So he votes along party lines, uh, um, and unfortunately, that hurts the district, and, and that hurts uh, you know, frankly, it threatens all of our national security. So you know, I just have a different view on these issues and a different understanding of what it takes to actually secure this country uh, based on my personal and professional experience. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, the, the, the comment about taking a selfie with somebody, but voting against their interests one day, I think that really, 
um, you know, that speaks to, 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 I, I would argue kind of how he's gotten away with some of these things, if you will, is, you know, he'll, he'll show up and take a selfie with you. And then it's hard to believe that, that he would vote in such a way. But I think it's on all of us now to be paying attention to exactly what, what he's, what, how his votes are affecting the district. Yeah. And he has this reputation as kind of a, uh, a moderate because I think of some of the showmanship, right? Like he drove across the country with a democratic member of Congress. Um, I think he fashions himself to the public as the kind of person who could work across the aisle. But it sounds like from what you're saying that he's a fairly extreme uh, conservative. So I'm only, Robbie, I'm only saying what his voting record shows me, right? His voting record shows me that he's far from a moderate. And frankly, I don't think you get to call yourself a moderate just because you don't say crazy shit, right? Yeah. I think our standard has to be a little bit higher than that, especially when our voting record uh, is so it's clear um, and explicit about how you actually feel about these issues. Yeah, I mean, I, I, to be honest, like I'd rather have somebody say crazy shit than vote for crazy shit if we had a choice between the two. Uh, and so... You know, in talking about your experience, you know, you're the only veteran in this race and you served as an intelligence officer in Iraq. What years were you there and what did you see? Um, So I deployed to Iraq um, in the summer of 2005 and um, I was part of an element um, that provides close air support. And so this is um, an Air Force element that um, supports other Air Force elements that are tied to Army units. And the whole point of this is that, you know, when, when, um, when Army units are under um, attack, we call them troops in contact and they need additional firepower, uh, what they'll do is call on the Air Force um, for, for support. And that'll be either a maneuver or some type of, um, you know, the need to drop some type of bomb uh, based on what's going on there, essentially to allow that unit to get out of harm's way um, so this was, you know, given what was going on in Iraq at the time, this was a critical mission um, all over the country. Uh, and, you know, this was an, ex- an exciting time uh, to be there. Uh, I mean, I did serve under, under Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And so it makes me think back to, um, you know, the time when I was, was there serving under those conditions and, and to think that there are men and women, you know, putting their lives on the line today that are similarly one, you know, questioning, um, questioning how their government is looking upon them as we have these, these questions now about one, their ability to serve, um, and then frankly, their access to, to medical resources if they happen to be transgender, right? Um, it's, just, it's just really unfortunate that people that are, that are working to provide security for you and I are having to question their, their own security, especially when they're already in harm's way. Yeah, it's tragic. And uh, you also had an opportunity to serve in the office of the U.S. Trade Representative. And and from what I understand, your job was to review foreign investments so that they wouldn't pose national security risks. Um, Given that was your job, um, if I have it right, what do you ever think about the fact that, you know, our president right now um, has all of these webs of foreign investments that pose security risks at a level that we've probably never seen before. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, so certainly, I mean, the, there are, there seems to be um, many instances of uh, real and potential conflicts of interest um, on top of his already, let's call it, hazy um, judgment, uh, which is, I think... <laughs> 
which is which is which is a real issue. And look, I mean, I've served in countries where where um, governments are more interested in serving themselves, and which has resulted in the hollowing out of the middle class, as well as in these countries where women and minorities are targeted, right? And so, and and frankly, that's some of the motivation behind me me running now is that uh, if we fast forward this story, right? I've seen what that looks like in other countries, and that's why I um, am so motivated based on what I've seen, but also my personal experiences. Uh, to to serve and ensure that you know I do what I can do to push back against this administration and their awful, disastrous policies, uh, because you know American leadership is is too important. It, it you know some folks might be questioning it now, but I mean that's it's it's still so critical uh, to to you know international order, global security, and so I think we can right this ship, and I look forward to being part of that. And so you've now been announced for a few months. Uh, what are some of the lessons that you've learned uh, in your first few months of campaigning? I, um, well, one, I am encouraged by the amount of support. Uh, folks are uh, encouraged, you know, I think, certainly by someone like me and my, my profile, but I think folks are just encouraged in general um, uh, and, and motivated just because they know now is the time to act, given everything that this administration has done just in a short amount of time, whether you be LGBT or a woman, or frankly, if you just care about the environment, right, any of these issues, or frankly, if you just care about government. Government and, and understand its role and frankly the social contract that that is is very quickly eroding based on you know the, the a couple of, of signatures by this by this president and his administration so there's an energy there that about what it you know as, as we question as we are continually being questioned about what it means to be American what it means to be a Texan right what do we care about what do we stand up for um, I must admit though Ravi right I you know you always hear about it um, but, you know, this system, this system of politics and frankly, getting into politics um, is is very much set up for people that already are in power. Right. And by that, by that, I mean, um, you know, those that have access to resources, either through their personal or their professional network. Um, and so, you know, while I uh, have been fortunate to serve my country for 14 years, um, you know, I personally don't come from money. Um, my professional network have, have, are, are true patriots. Yeah, so it doesn't. I mean, this 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 process doesn't necessarily lend itself um, uh, to to um, somebody that does not have resources inherently um, from their personal or professional networks. And so, uh, Gina, what can we do, the folks listening here, the arena, et cetera, to help uh, even out this balance and make for uh, a fair election here? Yeah. Um, so, you know, first and foremost, folks can, can donate. Um, it's going to be, um, uh, you know, we, we've got a great message, but we have got to, to raise the resources so that we can share, we can ensure that the most people um, hear that message as possible, especially in a district um, as large as this. Uh, we certainly also need to get the word out, right? And so folks can, um, you know, share this podcast, um, you know, visit visit the website um, and, and check out, frankly, the things that we're talking about. And because I have a different perspective on these things, I am talking about them and frankly, talking about different things um, than, than folks, frankly, might be used to or be comfortable with, right? Um, and then, and then lastly, well, and also, you know, sharing this, as I mentioned, sharing this podcast, um, that's going to be, that's going to be the most helpful, but also visit the website and, um, you know, 
we're, we're going to be doing house parties and we're going to do, be doing events in, in the district. So certainly, um, you know, follow along um, and, and continue to spread the word about what's going on in, in Texas 23. And I imagine you're going to be staffing up a ton over the course of the year. And so if anybody's listening who's looking to get, uh, jump on an, an idealistic upstart campaign with a great candidate um, and overcoming, uh, you know, significant but achievable obstacles, uh, this is this should be number one on folks' lists. Um, and so, Gina, with that, um, I just wanted to thank you for joining us today. This is such an amazing conversation, and um, I know you're heading into another fundraising quarter, so I want to just double down on, uh, for folks who are looking to donate to congressionals, this is certainly one I'll keep an eye out for, um, and folks who want to donate their time, uh, especially, uh, you couldn't spend it in a better place. So thank you, Gina. Great. Thank you so much, Robbie, and thanks to the entire ARENA team. Thank you.